If you would open up in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 14. Exodus chapter 14. One Sunday morning, the pastor noticed that Alex was staring up at a plaque that hung at the foyer of the church. The plaque was covered with names. There was a small American flag. There was manor on either side of it. The seven-year-old was just standing there staring at the plaque for, for some time. And the pastor came up to him. He stood beside him. He said, good morning, Alex. He said, good morning, pastor. He said, pastor, what is this? He says, well, son, it's a memorial. It's a, it's a list of names, young men and women who died in the service. So he sat there and they both just stared at the plaque for a little while. And the little boy said to the pastor, he said, which one, the nine or the 11 o'clock one? Fourth of July week, we've all been remembering things that have gone about to make this country, but certainly we remember those who gave their lives in service, gave their lives in just the construction of the documents that set apart our liberty for the hours they spent in prayer, studying the Word of God to receive what God would have us to become. Wow, it's, it is something. Over the last number of weeks, we have looked at the identifiers of those that have hard hearts, stubbornness. Those that are stubborn, they're not steady in the things of God, but they are stubborn. And of those four things, we looked at the relationship to authority. We used Pharaoh. He used our poster child of those that are stubborn. We saw that his relationship to authority was messed up, that who is God that I should listen to him? And even when God showed him who he was, he still pushed himself up there to be the authority, the one. We have the four things. We've been covering different ones of them. Today, we want to take a look at the turmoil, focus in turmoil, the people who are steady for the things of God, have a proper relationship to authority. They speak to people in authority in respectful ways. They understand authority and they work by it. They're generous with the things that they have. When God says, give, they give. And last week we were looking at that and we saw that when we become stingy with the things that we have and are not generous, It is because we have usurped the place of authority in our life. And it really comes back down to the first thing that we're messed up in the area of authority. But here we're on the third one. And this is focus in turmoil. How many have ever had things going on in your life that are just in turmoil? And I think at the end of the service, we'll be praying for some folks that may be having some turmoil going on in their lives and need some some prayer in that. But how many have are either gone through now or have gone through in the past some situations that were very... Uh, very uneasy, uh, a lot of turmoil around with that. And you're not sure where it came from, why it was there. But a person who is stubborn versus a person who is steady is very easy to identify here. A person who is in turmoil and they are steady in the things of God approaches these things very differently from one who is stubborn. Exodus, we're going to go back into verse 17 of chapter 13, just a little bit before 14 here, just to 
catch what happened. Then it came to pass when Pharaoh had let the people go that God did not lead them by way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near, for God said, lest perhaps the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. There's a whole lot in there that I don't know if it's not said or just we just kind of skim over it a, a whole lot. But God says, you know, here is a shorter, here's a shortcut. How many of y'all like shortcuts? I don't know about you, but, you know, when we were growing up and kids, we loved shortcuts. But shortcuts were not always the easy way. Shortcuts generally were more difficult. But shortcuts were fun. <laughs> I mean, you, everybody could go along the sidewalks and along the roads and get down to the place. But when you knew a shortcut, it's through secret places. And there's just fun ways to get there. And God says, this is a shorter way for you to go up to the land of the Philistines. We can get you there in no time at all. But if we do that, you're going to face war. And if you face war, that may discourage you. You want to go back. I want you to see, to see that at no time does God say, if they face war, they'll die. If they face war, they'll they'll be in a situation and, you know, I can't get them out of it. He doesn't say that. God is, he knows no matter what they face, I can bring them out of it. But his concern is for the people. I want you to understand something. There are some times that God has led us a long way around things because we could not handle the shortcut. And then we get mad at God at how long it takes. And God says, I knew a shorter way. You didn't want to take it. Or you weren't ready to take it. It wasn't something that you could do. Oh, I'll tell you what. We, we need to get ready. And if you say, well, I, 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 I didn't know. God is doing things to help us get ready that we're not even aware of. God is going to have us do some things, get some things going. David is being prepared to be king by watching over a few sheep. How many of you would see that correlation? He was being made ready to take on a Philistine giant when a lion happened into the sheepfold and a bear. How many of you would have seen that? How many of you, when a lion comes to steal your, your little lambs that you're supposed to watch over, are saying, oh, God is getting me ready to kill a Philistine down the future? No, <laughs> we're not seeing that, are we? But David took the opportunity. And he got himself ready. And what is the thing he said over and over again every time anybody questioned him whether he could take on this Philistine? He's seeing the correlation now. Oh, I see this now. I took on a bear. I took on a lion. And I won. (laughs) This Philistine will be just like them. I'm prepared. I'm ready. So God led the people around by way of the wilderness of the Red Sea. And the children of Israel went up in orderly ranks out of the land of Egypt. Understand this. If Israel was ready, they never would have encountered the Red Sea. We wouldn't have the wonderful Red Sea crossing story. The only reason we have it is because Israel is ill-prepared, not ready for what's ahead. And Moses took the bones of Joseph with him. Now, if you're saying that, well, what could they have done? They were in Egypt for all those years. David was in the lion's den. Where was Daniel getting ready for leadership of a nation? Where was Joseph when he was getting ready to take over and become ruler? He was in prison. He was a slave. What was he doing all that time? What he could, and he made himself ready. And when, he, when the time came, 
Joseph didn't have to say, well, you know what? I would love to do that job, but let me go to school for a couple of years, learn how to do it. There wasn't time. This was the time. And Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for he had placed the children of Israel under Salomo, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from here with you. So they took the journey from Sukkoth and camped in Etham, in the edge of the wilderness. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead the way, and by night in the pillar of fire to give them light so as to go by day and night. He did not take away the pillar of cloud by day or the pillar of fire by night from before the people. So they had this. Now, if you are involved in a situation that is turmoil, if you are involved in a situation that is bringing chaos into your life, a situation that you are facing that is hard to get past, it does not have to be that way. It can be changed. Now, are you a stubborn person? Or are you a steady person? A stubborn person will look at what the Word of God says and say, I heard that before. I already know those things. Didn't help me before. A steady person says, I've heard that before, but I'll bet you I can learn something new. <laughs> I bet you God can teach me something different. I bet you I'm ready for something now that I wasn't ready for before. In situations, one thing you got to learn about the Word of God. Situations don't always take years to change. Many situations changed in a day. Many situations changed in one day. We did a, a, a one here, I, I don't know if it was a Sunday or Wednesday, what difference a day makes. And we went through the Word of God. <laughs> and we, we looked at a bunch of things that how it was on Wednesday and how it was on Thursday. How it was on Friday and then how it was on Saturday. And totally different. But if you're going to be in a stubborn way, then tomorrow is going to be like you're today. Verse 1, chapter 14. Now the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel that they turn and camp before Phi-Heroth, between Megdol and the sea opposite Baal-Zephon. You shall camp before it by the sea, for Pharaoh will say of the children of Israel, They are bewildered by the land. The wilderness has closed them in. Then I will harden Pharaoh's heart so that he will purpose he will pursue them, and I will gain honor over Pharaoh and over all his army, and the Egyptians may know that I am the Lord. And they did so. The one thing that God has not come against yet is the army of the Egyptians. He's come against their God. Their food is gone. Their riches are gone, but they still have their army. He has not come against that yet. And he would have left them alone too, but they didn't leave it that way. And I will gain honor over Pharaoh and over his army that the Egyptians may know that I am the Lord. And they did so. Now it was told the king of Egypt that the people had fled in the heart of Pharaoh and his servants was turned against the people. And they said, why have we done this that we have let Israel go from serving us? Well, maybe it was the darkness. Maybe it was the gnats. Maybe it was the frogs. Maybe it was the death of the firstborn. Uh, maybe it was the blood in the, in the Red Sea. Uh, I mean, there's a whole lot of reasons. The locust, the boils, which one was it? Now all of a sudden they have forgotten. Why have we done this, that we have let Israel go from serving us? And, but look at what it said, the heart of Pharaoh and his servants was turned against the people. It's not just Pharaoh. It's the servants as well. They all went against us. For a while some of the servants were saying, look, give in. So he made his chariot, made ready his chariot and took his people with him. 
Also he took six hundred choice chariots and all the chariots of Egypt with captains over every one of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued the children of Israel. And the children of Israel went out with boldness. So the Egyptians pursued them, all the horses and chariots of Pharaoh, his horsemen, his army, overtook them camping by the sea beside Pharaoh, before Baal Zephon. And when Pharaoh drew near, the children of Israel lifted their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them. So they were very afraid, and the children of Israel cried out to the Lord, and they said to Moses, Because there were no graves in Egypt, have you taken us away to die in the wilderness? Why have you so dealt with us to bring us out of Egypt? Is this not the word that we told you in Egypt, saying, Let us alone, that we may serve the Egyptians? For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than when we should die in the wilderness. That's a good attitude. You can see all the faith and hope that's involved in there. Now, if you were here a number of uh, uh, Wednesdays ago, a couple of years ago, we went over that, uh, that book. And if you never got that book, and I'll just remind you about it again. But uh, that, that book, uh, The Gold of, of Israel, or The Gold of, the gold of Exodus. The Gold of Exodus. Uh, and if you want to, there's a website that uh, they have that you can go up on there as well and, and see some of the pictures. But that was a wonderful book, read like a novel. But it was true and uh, told you a story of, of hunting this stuff down and has kind of like a spy novel aspect to it, uh, if you ever want to go through that. But it was a wonderful book to read. And it, it went through a lot of the uh, searching on this because the traditional place where we have of the Red Sea crossing is not where it probably happened. It was in a very different spot. And when they found this particular place where it was, they could see exactly what was being lying out there by uh, what Pharaoh would have seen, what Israel would have seen. And they saw some really unique things about the Red Sea, and that in this particular area there was this huge shelf that they could have walked across. It was still underwater, but it was just it was flat, and it would have been a perfect place for people to have come across. God still had to park the water, but it was not that shallow area that they try and, and put it to. It was in a, in a deeper area. And uh, they found chariots wheels there. And they found other pieces of, of things there. But chariot wheels that dated back to this period of history when Israel was there. Not many, because most of them would have been deteriorated, but they did find some things that showed that something happened here from that time frame. It's just a wonderful thing going through. If you've never read that book, it's a wonderful book. I recommend it. And then they have a website that they'll refer you to as well, and they'll give you some of that. The Gold of Exodus. It's, uh, it's not a short book. I'm not the most avid reader, but I got through that one. <laughs> it just was captivating. Wonderful, wonderful book. But when you come to this spot, you'll find out that where God led Israel, they are at the Red Sea. There is no way to... At this spot in the Red Sea, folks, there is no way to cross without help. It's not like, well, if it was low, they could have just waited. No, there's no waiting. They would be drowning if that happened. It was just a, it's a long passage, too. It's not a, it's not a small little strip. And there was no place to go. When they had gone into it, they had mountains on the right, mountains on the left, the Red Sea in front of them. And then the path coming up to them was inhabited by the army. They were stuck. And so when they cried out, they saw no hope. But when you look at this, it's not, it's not as bad as they were thinking. 
Some of us might be thinking, some of us have been in situations, but Father God, I thought I followed you. I thought I listened to you. I thought that the reason that I'm here, the reason I took this job, the reason that I am involved in this situation, the reason I got in this place, the reason I did all these different things is because you led me here. And now I get here and I got a Red Sea in front of me. I got a mountain to the north of me. I got a mountain to the south of me. And then there's an army coming up the path. And I got no place to go. Why did you leave me, lead me into this place? And then Moses, of course, stretched out his staff and the, the, the thing parts. But what you got to see is that in where they are at right now, it looks like Israel is boxed in. But they're not. But they can't see it because that's, that's the way they've trained their, their faith to be. What they don't understand is God has put them in a situation where the Egyptian army was coming after them. No matter what, he was coming after them. But right now, if the, if the Egyptian army came after them and they were in the wilderness, they could come from the north, they could come from the south, they could come from the east, they could come from the west. You don't know where they're coming from. They could come from all four directions. What God has done is he has put Israel into the place. He says, there's only one way you can get them, get at them. And that's from behind. You cannot get to, at Israel from the north. You cannot get at Israel from the south. You cannot get at Israel from the front because that is the Red Sea. The only avenue of attack that the army of, the, of Pharaoh has is from behind. They have no other choice. We're looking at it as if Israel is boxed in. Israel is not boxed in. <laughs> Egypt is boxed in. And Moses said to the people, do not be afraid. <laughs> now, that's an easy thing to say. Don't be afraid. Isn't it? How many times have you heard people, you know, you're reading the Bible, you're reading the things in the Word of God, and, you know, you're in a situation, you're stuck in a place, and this and this is going on, and this and this is happening, and all this sort of stuff, and then you read from the Word of God, do not be afraid, and you say, yeah, you don't know what I'm going through. You don't know what I'm facing. You don't know how bad, you don't know what's in front of me right now. Do not be afraid. What kind of stuff is that? So here comes Moses. Do not be afraid. <laughs> yeah, right, Moses. <laughs> Have you opened your eyes recently? You see what's going on? He says, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. Now, why are the people supposed to stand still? Don't overthink it. It's a real easy answer. Because God said so. <laughs> That's the only reason. There's a whole lot of times, though, that we like to say so. How many of y'all like to stand still and see the salvation of the Lord? Yeah, but that's not always the case. Most times, people don't stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. Did the centurion stand still and see the salvation of the Lord? Did the woman with the issue of blood stand still and see the salvation of the Lord? Did blind Bartimaeus stand still and see the salvation of the Lord? Did the family with a dead daughter stand still and see the salvation of the Lord? How many times do we read in the Word of God where people were not standing still? People were moving. How many times did Jesus say, according to your faith? According to your faith. We're involved. There are a few times that God has said, you're not involved in this one. And, and for this, you know why they're not involved? First off, if he did, they'd mess it up. Beside that, Pharaoh has picked a war with God. <laughs> so, well, you know what God says? Oh, get out of my way for a minute. I want to take care of this one. 
I'm going to take this boy out. He's, been, he's just been messing with me. It's time for me to get him. So you just get out of the way. I need to do something here. And so he's going to do that. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. The Lord, well, let's go back. Do not be afraid. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, for he will accomplish, or which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians who you see today, you shall see again no more forever. Now, put yourself in their situation. Mountains to the right, mountains to the left, the Red Sea in front. No way to get across that Red Sea. The way, the way that you came, the path that you came, you can't get back that way. And the army is on the other end. And they're in chariots and they're riding towards you. In a narrow path. It's not like if you double back, maybe they'll miss you. That's not going to happen. It's a narrow path. Y'all came orderly through there and you will be struck down orderly if you go back. And so Moses comes out here and says, the Egyptians you see today, you will see no more. No, it's easy for us to read that and ble- oh, glory to God! Yeah, yeah, you don't see you see them no because we're you know we're beyond Exodus. <laughs> we we already got to the end of the story. We know what happens. We watched the movie. We saw how it ends, and there's there's no we can get a visual picture of this thing thanks to Hollywood. We get a visual picture of what this is like. So there's no problem for us. But if you are in the midst of this. Red Sea in front of you, mountains to the right, mountains to the left, army behind you, no place to go. And you want to, and one guy stands up and says, you see those Egyptians out there and the chariots and the, all the war stuff? Yeah, you're not going to see them anymore. This is it. This is their last day. That's a hard thing to say. How many of y'all know Moses is seeing something? Moses, he's not sweating this thing. If you're Moses, and if they're coming... To take Israel back. Now just picture this for a minute. You're Moses. They're coming because they want to bring Israel back as slaves. What do they do to you? Bring you back as a slave? No. No. What do you think they're going to do to you? Yeah, you're done. <laughs> they are going to kill you. This is it. And Moses, he's at peace. He's having fun. Ah, oh, don't worry about it. Those guys you see, eh, you're not going to see them anymore. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. The Lord will fight for you and you shall hold your peace. And the Lord said to Moses, why do you cry to me? Tell the children of Israel to go forward. But lift up your rod and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it. And the children of Israel shall go on dry ground through the midst of the sea. And I indeed will harden the hearts of Egyptians and they shall follow them. So I will gain honor over Pharaoh and over all his army, his chariots and his horsemen. Then the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord, whom I have gained honor for myself over Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horsemen. Because right now, he hasn't gained honor over those ones, only over their gods. And the angel of the Lord went before the camp of Israel, moved and went behind them, and the pillar of cloud went before them and stood behind them. So it came between the camp of the Egyptians and the camp of Israel. Then thus it was a cloud and darkness to the ones, and it gave light by night to the other, so that one did not come near the other all that night. So the angel of God who went before the camp of Israel, he moved and went behind them. He stood behind them. He's standing guard behind them. He took the pillar of cloud 
and he put that over there. It was darkness to them. The fire brought it up to them. They had light. So Israel's in light. They're in darkness. That should be a test. That should be a, that should tell you something right there. They're in darkness. These guys are in light. But no, that, that didn't stop them. So they didn't move any further. They stayed right where they're at. They're seeing, man, something's going on. They got light. We're in darkness. We can't see what we're doing, but they're fine. I know what we'll do. We'll wait till the sun comes up and then we'll all be okay. Now, as we said, the Egyptians and Israel, to Pharaoh, they appeared to be lost. They're wandering around. That's not the way you go. That's not how you get there. They appear to be lost. How many of you have ever known a shortcut that no one else knew? And as you're driving there, you know, they know the normal way that you would go, but you know the shortcut. And you're driving on a shortcut and they're thinking, you're lost. You don't know where you're going, do you? No, okay. All right, you're lost. I, I don't even know where this place is. Where are you at? Oh, I'm fine. We're good. You got, a, you, you got a shortcut. You got a way to get there. Well, God has, you know, I have a way to get them there. But to Pharaoh, they're going to appear lost. So to Pharaoh, it appears that Israel, or it appears to, to Pharaoh, they appear lost. To Israel, it seems like Moses has led them into a trap. How would you like a leader that has brought you into a place and now you're stuck? But he says, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and the Lord caused the sea to go back by a strong east wind all that night and made the sea into dry land and the waters were divided. So the children of Israel went into the midst of the sea on the dry Ground and the waters were a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. And the Egyptians pursued and went after them in the midst of the sea and Pharaoh's horses, his chariots and his horsemen. It made what is here a kind of a wall of water. If you went up to Exodus chapter 15 and verse 8, when they're starting to sing about this sort of thing that had gone on, they use a word that means that the waters congealed. They stuck together. They, they could have froze or they somehow became solid that the waters on both sides of them became solid. It wasn't that they were still liquid and that God's hand was holding them up. God had done something to the sides of these things so that they became solid. Now, if he caused the water to freeze, that's a pretty neat thing to have in the wilderness down in that area, that suddenly a, a gust of wind comes by, separates the water, and causes the thing to freeze in a straight line, straight up. That's not how it happened, but God did whatever God did, he made them into some other kind of substance. We don't know what he did. Uh, he made it, you know, had some fun. Maybe he put some aquarium sides on both sides. And we don't know what he did, but that's what the 15.8, that's what it tells us. It says that they congealed. The waters congealed. Now, if you're the Egyptians, Moses has just stretched out his rod. The people are watching and the, and the whole thing just begins to separate. And the land that is underneath there is all now dry. I mean, that's just remarkable. Have you ever walked in the bottom of a creek bed? I mean, you sink into it. It's, 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 it's mucky. You ever gone swimming in lakes? Stuff like that. It's, it's mucky. It's, ugh, you know, you don't never know what's, what's in there. I'm not a big fan of swimming in lakes. I, I've done it, but I, I, like this, I like the ocean. I know what's on the bottom of the ocean. Sand. You might be thinking other things might be down there, but I know there's sand down there, so... <laughs> I'm okay with the sand. That's all, all fine. But they, they step on out into this and it's solid. And they're not sinking. 
and they're carrying their stuff and they go right on through. Now you're the Egyptians and the Egyptians come up and they look at this thing and they see a wall of water on either side and dry ground. And I don't know about you. I mean, if, if it's normal people, what are we thinking? Well, all right. We saw him disgrace all of our gods in Egypt. And we come out here and we think we have them trapped and God puts a cloud on our side, makes it dark and fire on their side and makes it light. We never saw that before, but all right. So we get past that and now we're over here and now he has separated the water. Never saw this happen in the Red Sea before, but, you know, separate the water over here, separate the water over here and we are walking over or they walked over and it's dry ground underneath. And look at this thing. I mean, it's, it's solid. I know. Let's go through it. <laughs> Somebody in Pharaoh's army ought to have some sense and say, you know what? If God did that for his people to get them away from us, I'm not going in there. <laughs> I'm going to wait right on out over here. You all can go. Let's see what happens. You go first. <laughs> I'll watch. And so they start going in, you know, and a few of them, maybe a few of them did go in just a little bit and they tested it on out and, well, it seems like it's okay. And so a few more go in and a few more go in and a few more go in. I understand this is not a short crossing. We were talking masses amounts of people. Two to four million people are already going through. Two to four million people have already gone through this crossing. So it tells you it's fairly wide. We're not looking at a small little narrow little passage here. It's a fairly wide passage. And then the Egyptians are going through with chariots. And they're going to follow. And they all get inside. And all the Egyptian army is whatever area is there. Have you ever seen those war movies they do on TV? You've seen how many are just littered on the sidelines of all the armies that are out there? They all fit in this area. Every one that they brought fit in the area that is opened up in the Red Sea. That is a large area. We're not talking about a football field here. We're talking a massive amount of land has been opened up by God and the entire Egyptian army has fit inside. And God waits for every one of them to get in. They're all inside. Well inside. So... All the army of Pharaoh came into the sea after them. Not so much as one of them remained. How many remained? Not so much as one. That means everything that he brought, all the equipment, all the chariots, all the horsemen, all the people, everything is in the Red Sea area that is opened up. But the children of Israel had walked on dry land in the midst of the sea and the waters were a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. So the Lord saved Israel that day out of the hand of the of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the shore. Thus Israel saw the great work which the Lord had done in Egypt. So the people feared the Lord and believed the Lord, His servants. Well, we skipped part of it. Which one did we left off before? I must have moved ahead. Yeah, go back to 24. Now it came to pass in the morning, watch, that the Lord looked down upon the army of the Egyptians through the pillar of fire and the cloud. Remember, we got both going on here right now because we had the pillar of cloud being darkness to them and the pillar of fire being light. And he troubled the army of the Egyptians. He troubled. If God comes over and troubles you, man, I'll tell you what's it's bad news. <laughs> you ever watch those Dennis the Menace cartoons? He troubled his neighbor. 
But this is different. And he took off their chariot wheels. <laughs> and God takes off their chariot wheels. Let's get that one. <laughs> Pops it right off. I mean, one after another. You know they did maintenance on these things. And then all of a sudden, they're driving on through there, and one after another, chariot wheel, flying this way, chariot wheel, flying this way, chariot wheel, flying this way. I mean, after a while, you've got to get an idea. We have never seen all these chariot wheels coming off at one time, nor have we ever seen the Red Sea part of this way, nor did we ever see a pillar of fire and a pillar of cloud like it was there where we were in darkness and they were in light. But still, let's go get them. And he took off the cherry wheels so that they drove them with difficulty. <laughs> if you have a chariot and it loses the wheel, I think driving it with difficulty is an understatement. Kind of like, and he troubled the army of the Egyptians. So we've got all kinds of understatement going on here. He took off the cherry wheels so that they drove them with difficulty. And the Egyptians said, let us flee from the face of Israel. For the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. Well, now you come to see your senses. <laughs> Now, all right, our cherry wheels are coming off, which means we can't make a quick exit. And the, um, the, we're all in the Red Sea. You know what? It'd probably be a good idea that we get out of here. Let us flee from the face of Israel, for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. Oh, really? Now, because your cherry wheels are coming off? And the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea that the waters may come back upon the Egyptians on their chariots and their horsemen. What had to be done before that happened? Moses had to do something, didn't he? What had to be done before the rivers parted, before the sea parted? Moses had to do something. Did the children of Israel have to do something? No, but somebody did, and it was Moses. And Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and when the mor morning appeared, the sea returned to its full depth while the Egyptians were fleeing into it. So the Lord overflew the Egypt overthrew the Egyptians in the midst of the sea, and the waters returned and covered the chariots the horsemen and all the army of Pharaoh that came into the sea after them, not so much as one of them remained. There was enough water that came down on them. You know, you've got these walls of water and they come down upon you. They come down upon you with fury. And you're churning around in there, plus you got all that armor and stuff on. And they drown. But the children of Israel had walked on dry land in the midst of the sea, and the waters were a wall to them on the right hand and on the left. So the Lord saved Israel that day out of the hand of Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Thus Israel saw the great work which the Lord had done in Egypt. So the people feared the Lord and believed the Lord and his servant Moses. So as we said, the Israelites were protected. All, they could, all the Egyptians could do was come from behind. They couldn't come from any other direction. They only can come from one place. Now it says there in the Hebrew, I think I put this in your outline, he took off the cherry wheels. Well, actually in the Hebrew it says that they bogged them, he bogged them down. But take, take a look at Psalms chapter, Psalms chapter 77. This is where they're talking about what God had done. The water saw you, O God. The water saw you. They were afraid. The depths also trembled. The clouds poured out water. The sky sent out a sound. Your arrows also flashed about. The voice of your thunder was in a whirlwind. The lightnings lit up the world. The earth trembled and shook. Your way was in the sea. Your path in the great waters and your footsteps were not known. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. God had fought for Israel. What looked like a bad situation and that it caused turmoil for the children of Israel, Moses is fine with this. Moses is at peace. Moses is like, you know what, just relax. 
You just stand still. You watch what's going to happen. These people that you see now, you're not going to see them again. He is fine. But many times, just like Israel, we accuse God of leading us into a bad place. We accuse God of leading us into a trap. I put this in your outline. I want you to make sure you get this. Traps are for the enemy, not children. Traps are for the enemy, not for children. How many of you, you have ever set up traps in your house for things like mice? Mouse traps. How many have you, has it ever been such that maybe some of your children have done more damage to your house than the mice? <laughs> but did you ever set up a children trap? No, we didn't do that, did we? Because traps are for the enemy. They're not for the children. God does not set up traps for you. He'll set up traps for your enemies, but he will not set up a trap for you. Now, the way of wisdom. We had it up to here. As the children of Israel were going, we had their way into turmoil. They walked into a way into, into turmoil. We had them walk through the turmoil. And they came out on the other side. And now all of a sudden everybody's happy. But here's the way of wisdom. And this is what we need to get hold of. This is going back again to the number one thing. The thing we have with our relationship with authority. When we are constantly critical of, and I ended it there. You can write in whatever you want to. But when we are constantly critical of leaders, those that God has given gifts to, or those functioning in a role in the service to God, we are usurping the authority of God by judging his decision to give that gift, elevate that leader, or use that person in service. We are usurping his role. We are usurping his wisdom. When How many of you ever seen somebody in an area of, of ministry and you wonder why God has put that person in there? You ever done that? I mean, why would God use this person? Look at what they did. Look at what they said. You know, sometimes people have some quirks on some things and we look at the quirks and we wonder, you know, why does God do that? And we're losing the benefit of what's there from these people. I have to watch myself. You know, God, I love listening to podcasts of other churches, of other people and the things that they do. And I'm, I'm always on, this, on the hunt for, all right, I'll find some new pastors, some new things and always looking for stuff listening to some new, some new things and, and getting some stuff in. But you know what? The, the um, different speakers will come on up and they'll have these little idiosyncrasies. And some of them are huge. <laughs> uh, there's this one guy who fills in for one of the ones that I, I really like to listen to. And I was listening to him. And he started off, you know, he wasn't too bad. But then he got worse and worse and worse. And this last one, it was every other sentence. He kept using the word, okay? Okay? Okay, not even okay. It's K, 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 K. I'm going. <laughs> Stop with the K's. <laughs> Just over and over. I said, surely he's going to stop. He didn't. He kept on going. Now that can be a hang-up for somebody. It was certainly a hang-up for me. I was having a hard time listening to what, and I'm, I'm getting my mind off of the word that he wants to teach. We can look at that and say, dear God, why would you want to put this person into this kind of ministry? Why do they have this? What is this going on over here? Why would you have this gift on them and, and so forth? Another person I, I listened to, and he's got some good things to share, but he overuses the word every service. Every service, he uses this word so... Uh, he almost outdid the guy with the K. 
The problem was he can't pronounce the word. He can't pronounce it. He pronounces it wrong every time he says it, but he says it over and over and over and over and over and over and he keeps going. And so sometimes that can grate on me. Why does this person have this gifting from God on them? And what can we do? I can begin to question God's wisdom. Why did, God, why did you do that? Why did you put that out of there? Look at these other people over here. Look at how well they do this and this and, and so forth. And you think that's all of it. I'll tell you what, I can start listening more of them. I got another one. He's actually one I'm using as my poster child for do not do this. I heard him one time and I thought, oh, I got to make sure I keep this because I got to show it to people. So don't do this at home. Don't do this when you're up there and, and doing things. And uh, I found out, I listened to a couple more of his. He does it every time. <laughs> he does it every single time. He doesn't stop doing it. He just keeps doing it over and over and over. So I said, oh, I can just grab any one of his and I can just bring that one out there. I said, don't do this <laughs> because it's, it doesn't help. But we can begin to look at that and I can begin to look at these people and say, why does God do this? Why? And, and question God's wisdom. Can't do that, folks. I can't do that. God can put giftings on us. It's up to us to sometimes to refine it. And maybe sometimes we do and sometimes we, we don't. I'm, I'm sh- pretty sure that a lot of these preachers I listen to never listen to themselves. I know for me that was the hardest thing in the world. When I sat down and listened to a tape of myself, I, I, I nearly gave up teaching. I was I was awful. I said, dear Lord, why does anybody even come out for this sort of thing? I just cringed every time I heard my voice. Finally got past to the point where I could do that, which is good because you listen to the things. You can, well, all right, you got to stop saying that and stop using it that way and you're doing that wrong and, and you can, you know, help yourself out on that. But sometimes they wouldn't do that. But how many times do we look at people and we see somebody and they have a gift, God is using them in an area and the first thought we have is why would God use them when their life is... What are we doing? I am questioning God's wisdom for using somebody. I can look at some of these. I mean, these guys that I listen to, that I, pull, I mean, they got churches, 1,000, 3,000, 10,000. We're not looking at small churches. They got a whole lot of folks. Why would God? Do, I don't know. I'm not God. It's not my job. But I'm going to get the word that they're going to teach. I'm going to discipline myself to be a good listener. And to not sit there and judge and say, well, that shouldn't be that way or I could do that better or no, I, I can't do that. I can't, I got, and I can't just have that attitude and just not think those things. I got to get the attitude out because that's my problem. If I'm doing that, I am rejecting the wisdom of God. Now, I needed you to understand this for this point. If I reject the wisdom of God for the people that he uses, for the people that he gifts, for the people and how... They, they flow into things. If I question the wisdom of God in those things, how ready is God to share his wisdom with me? Mm-hmm. Have you ever had it with your kids when you're growing up, you know, and they begin to, they don't have to obey you anymore? <laughs> you know what that's like. <laughs> they don't have to obey you anymore. And so they get on out and they start attacking your wisdom. Start attacking, that's, that's stupid. That's not right. And what do you do? Okay. Have at it. Right? Why? If what I am sharing with you is not perceived as wisdom, then you go with what you think is wisdom. And you let them go off on their own thing. 
Now you may have that with maybe you didn't have that with your kids. Our kids have been good in this this area, but maybe you know your kids have have other or other ones you've seen haven't been so good. And you see that, but it's just like if you're going to shut down on the wisdom, if you've got a boss who's trying to help people out, train up, and they're not receiving the wisdom from the boss. What's the boss do? Either fire them, or all right, go ahead and make a mess. And I'll show people that you made a mess, and we'll get rid of you. That can be a thing that goes... We don't want to shut down on the wisdom. Don't shut down on God's wisdom. Now, we say all that for this. When you are involved in a situation with turmoil, God is ready to speak wisdom to you about how to fix it. But you've got to be ready to hear. Steadiness in turmoil is simply knowing what's going to happen. The reason that Moses is calm, cool, and collected... You know why? It's because he says, I know what's going to happen. It's just like if we were transformed back in time and we were one of the children of Israel in there, what would we be doing? Oh, man, this is cool. Oh, just wait. You got to see this. (laughs) This is going to be so great. I saw it in the movies. Now I get to see it live. This is going to be great. (laughs) Now watch. Moses is going to. Here it comes. Here it comes. (laughs) Right? Because we know what's going to happen. I know the end. That's wisdom. That's the wisdom of God. I know the end. Moses is fine. He says, yo, just just step back. Just be cool. It's going to be fine. God wants to speak wisdom to you. Now, here's a couple of ways that he'll do it. Sometimes we get stuck in a situation. Have you ever been stuck in a situation? Situation at work, situation at home. You're stuck in a situation. You don't know how to fix it. So what do you need? I need wisdom. Because I don't know what to do. If I knew what to do, I would fix it, but I don't know what to do. I need wisdom. I need somebody who has that wisdom. And you bring that person on in. You know, say that you have a, a well, just pick something. Say you have a lawnmower and it's giving you trouble. You don't know how to fix lawnmowers. So what do you do? You call somebody who knows how to fix lawnmowers. You know, I found this guy. I hope I can find him again if I ever need him. He makes house calls. Fix tractors called him up one time he came on over to, to fix our tractor and he got it running got it working another couple of years got a few more years out of it and he did all sorts of stuff to it and so while i had him there i was asking him questions what do you think about this tractor if we ever replace this tractor what do you think about going with this one and i just getting wisdom from him you know why because he knows what he's doing <laughs> he works on them all the time i don't work on them at all and so I just, I began to talk to him. What you, and what kind of, I talked to him about maintenance. I mean, he's just sitting there fixing the tractor. He don't have anything to do. So I sat out there and I talked with him for the whole hour he was out there. I was asking him questions about tractors. Because this is the man who had wisdom about tractors. I don't know, he's, a, he's about 60-some years old. He'd, he'd been doing it for a while. And it was a wonderful, I thought, this is a wonderful idea for a business. Because most people can't take a tractor to a store. And so he just comes on out, got all his tools, he starts fixing it. And I gained all kinds of knowledge. And so when we needed to buy another tractor, I knew stuff that I didn't know before. And I got an even better one than I had before. Because I listened to somebody. I'm going to talk to somebody. I'm going to find out. But you bring somebody in. Now, if I brought him in and he says, all right, your tractor needs this, this, this. And, oh, that's not right. Uh-uh. They don't need that. I mean, he could say, how do you know that? Well, I it, it don't need that. What are you basing that on? Nothing. Is that wisdom? No. That's foolishness. Foolishness is proclamations made based on nothing. Wisdom is proclamation made based on 
Fact. Promise. Wisdom of God. So you've got to tap into this thing. But I notice on, and, and now different people have different ways of tapping into the wisdom of God. And some people tap into other things better than, better than some. But you, when you were facing a project, and I've ever faced a project at home. And you're taking something on, you know, you have a need to, you got to take the thing on at home. And you take the thing on and you're trying to fix the thing, trying to make it work. And it doesn't work the way it's supposed to. Or when you are taking it apart, you encounter a problem. And it's beyond what you know to do. You know what you you know what you can do? Tap into the wisdom of God. And so through the years, I've learned how to do this. I've learned how to tap into the wisdom of God. And so sometimes I'll sit there and I'll just begin to run things through my head of things that I've gone through before. And when I don't quite get there, I just kind of shut down to the thing and I go away. And Father God, I need wisdom on that. I need to know how to fix that thing. And all of a sudden, I'm working on something else, doing another thing. And down in my spirit drops an idea. Oh, I could do that. I could do it that, oh, yeah, that would work. And you take that thing on and you, you can make the change to it. Now, I'll give you a couple examples of this. Christian and I were taking on a project. He had this, this thing he wanted to build. And this thing defied all kinds of laws. <laughs> but he had envisioned it long ago. And we've been working on it since uh, March. I'd say at least, at least around then. It's, it's been a long, long time coming. And it's just about ready to be done. Glory be to God, he is saying. <laughs> but we took this thing on and you know every time you know he had an idea how it was supposed to go and as we're going on through it's not going to work that way or i can't find those pieces and so um he would come on back he says well i i found them over here or i ordered them over here or i tried this i asked this and he, he'd find a thing and we get it in and we'd accomplish that and then well it's not going to quite stick it's not going to quite glue and so we go and we talk to somebody who had wisdom on glues and he gave us a glue that was messy, but it worked. And that glue was, was there. But you see, we were doing some things that defied the laws of gravity. And so it wasn't quite the easiest thing to do. So we had to come up with ways on, on how to do that. And then all of a sudden, you know, we were going out to think, oh, we could do it this way. Oh, we could do it this way. And down in, in our spirit, something would drop. Well, sometimes, you know, when you're accomplishing a problem, that's great. But I want you to, I want to open up your eyes to something. It's easy to seek wisdom when you know there is a problem. But you can also seek wisdom when you don't. There was a case in point where we had, in the project, we had already gotten past one of the most huge things we had to do. We had to seal out water from places that water would try and find a way through. We knew water would try and find a way through. And there's about three different seals that we had to accomplish in order to keep the water from coming through. If you don't keep the water from coming through, you have a whole heap of trouble. And so we came up with each seal. We had to come up with a different place. Oh, maybe over here, maybe we can do this. And we kept having to solve things until finally we got that thing done. So it was done kind of piecemeal. And then I remember one day, Christian and I were sitting out by the pool. We had just finished some, some other aspect on the, on the thing. And he, we're just sitting there just you know, doing something else. And he learned, leaned over to me and he said, you know how we could have done that? We could have done it this way, this. And I said, yeah, that would have worked real easy. <laughs> That would have been a whole lot easier than what we did. Because what we did was 10 times harder. And just had so many more problems that could go, go wrong with it. Don't you know, a few hours later, one of those problems surfaced and the whole, whole seal that we did was lost. And I turned to him and I said, you know that idea you had? <laughs> I think it's going to help us now. <laughs> and we ended up having to take the whole thing apart and put it back together 
the, and we used the idea that he had received. That's the wisdom of God. But you've got to receive that. If you treat the wisdom of God poorly, it goes away. If you treat the wisdom of God with respect, it will find you. And that's what we need to do. That's how we need to walk. We need to walk in such a way that the wisdom of God finds us. It does not look wise for most people, for Israel, to take the course that they did and end up at the place where they are to, go, to be stuck with the army of the Egyptians right there behind them. But in God's eyes, it was. I put this in your outline. While second-guessing His wisdom in these areas, why would we also receive His wisdom in our own situations? If I am going to second-guess why God in His wisdom put that healing anointing on brother so-and-so, put that teaching anointing on sister so-and-so, put that office of a prophet on this one, if I continually do that, then why would I also receive the wisdom that I need for what situations I'm in? Here's a couple of verses on wisdom. Proverbs 49, verse 1 through 6. They're not in your outline at all. Hear this, all ye peoples. Give ear, all inhabitants of the world, both low and high, rich and poor, together. My mouth shall speak wisdom, and the meditation of my heart shall give understanding. I will incline my ear to a proverb. I will disclose my dark stain on the harp. Why should I fear in the days of evil when the iniquity at my heels surrounds me? Those who trust in their wealth and boast in the multitude of their riches... There are people out there and that's what they want to boast in. That's what they want to see their salvation in. No, it's in the wisdom of God. you got to get into the wisdom of God. The wisdom of God can pull you out of any situation that you are in. Even when you've got the Red Sea in front of you, mountains to the right, mountains to the left, and the Egyptian army behind you. The wisdom of God will get you out of it. Psalms 51, verse 6. Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts. And in the hidden part, you will make me, make me to know wisdom. Where? On the inner parts, on the inside. Down on the inside is wisdom. It's going to come to me. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me hear joy and gladness that the bones you have broken may rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence. Do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me by your generous spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners shall be converted to you. Deliver me from the guilt of my bloodshed, O God, that the God of my salvation and my tongue shall sing aloud of your righteousness. Most times our tongues are not. We are complaining that we are in Big Dole. The place where the Red Sea is. Is that where Israel was? O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth shall flow, shall show forth your praise. For you do not desire sacrifice, or else I would give it. You do not delight in burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit and a broken and contrite heart. These, O God, you will not despise. In other words, it's this. It's a person who says, Father God, I am not all wise. I will receive whatever you speak into me. And as you speak it to me, I will do it. One more. Two more. The, uh, Psalm 111 to verse 10. The faith of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and good understanding. Have all those who do His commandments. His praise endures forever. Proverbs 1 verse 1. The Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel. To know wisdom and instruction. To perceive the words of understanding. To receive the instruction of wisdom, justice, judgment, and iniquity. To give prudence to the simple. To the young man, knowledge and discretion. A wise man... 
will hear and increase learning, and a man of understanding will attain wise counsel to understand a proverb and an enigma, the words of the wise and their riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Don't despise wisdom and instruction. Do not look at anything that God has done, any gift that God has bestowed on people. Don't ever look at those gifts. God, why did you do that? Don't ever do it. Glean what you can from those giftings. Pull what you can. What you're saying is, Father God, I honor your wisdom. I honor your wisdom. Proverbs 2, 1 through 13. You can read that when you're at home. Fantastic set of verses. I strongly recommend. I would read them right now, but our time is getting away from us. Focus in turmoil. I put this in your outline. Focus in turmoil is simply understanding how to deal with what is coming at us in a way that will bring about victory. That's all it is. Focus in turmoil is simply understanding how to deal with what is coming at us in a way that will bring about victory. That's what we want. If we are convinced that what we are doing will bring about a victory, we are calm. My daughter tells me stories of the, the kids that she watches and the things that they do. And, you know, little kids, can, they, can, they can get you a little upset. They can do some things, say some things. But the wisdom of God, she'll seek after the wisdom of God on those things and she'll speak some things, she'll do some things, she'll change up how she's doing it and change their behavior. Alter their behavior. If you can get a vision of how you can do it, you won't be in turmoil, you will be focused in turmoil. Without wisdom, we are grasping at ideas to overcome problems. We're just, well, I'll try this out. Well, I'll try this. Well, how about this? We'll give this a shot. No, don't just grasp a thing. Get the wisdom of God. Because He'll tell you how to do it. He'll tell you how to, how to bring that over. I've got this story I want to share with you. There was an old man who showed up at the back door of a house. Some college students, they were staying. And he came in and he had some uh, little produce things to sell. And the, the college kids were kind of unsure. Here's this old guy. He looks kind of, you know, he's not wearing real nice clothes and kind of smells and you can tell he hasn't taken a bath in a while but he's selling produce and just to get rid of them they bought some stuff off of him and they sent him on his way and another week later he came on by with some other things to sell and well after a while they began to get a little more comfortable with the guy and they got to know his name Mr. Ryan and so he would uh, they would dress him Mr. Ryan every time he came to the house and um, one day he came to the house and he he said it's a particularly good day today he said, I found outside of my door a bag full of shoes and clothes, shirts and pants. And the, the young college kids were smiling a little bit because they wanted them to know. They didn't want to know that they were the culprits. They were the ones who put it out there. And he said, but what was even better was you just yesterday, I met some people who could really use them. God is not just out for us to find wisdom for ourselves. He wants us to go to Him to find wisdom to help others. We've been talking about getting out there, inviting people out to church, help people get their way in. God will give you wisdom to help other people to receive. Maybe they can't get it from God, but you can. And, you, and when they come to you and they say, well, how did you know to do that? God in my spirit, God spoke it to me. I was praying about your situation. God spoke it to me. He let me know what to, what to do. I want you to get this uh, down. Developing your spirit is not listening to the first thing you hear in your spirit. 
It's obeying the first time God said something. God is going to speak to you, and the wisdom of God is when he speaks it to you, you do it. You don't sit there and try and figure it out. You don't sit there and say, well, I don't know about... No, did God say to do that? I'm going to do it now. That's how you develop your spirit. When God, whether it's in his written word, whether it's in the spoken word, however it comes to you, when he says it, you do it. That's how you develop your spirit. The progress of spiritual development will lead you this way. There are three stages of this. If you remember this, these are things that we went over about three years ago. See if you remember. In our spiritual development, there are first off points, times of obedience. When we are first growing with God, we look at, well, I obeyed here, I obeyed here, I obeyed here, I obeyed here, I disobeyed here, I obeyed here. We're looking at points in our life in which we obeyed. The next step is path, the way of obedience. We move up from points to I am on the path of obedience. It's different from points. The third way, purpose, the reason for obedience. God wants us in our spiritual development to go from points of obedience, things that we did or didn't do, to pass the way of obedience to the purpose. What does God want to accomplish? That's where we need to get to. The wisdom of God will lead us into that. The wisdom of God will help us in these things. But we've got to listen. We've got to follow after the wisdom of God. What does God has to say? What is God having to say? Would you all stand up with me? Glory to God. Glory to God. What is your situation? You've got some turmoil going on in your life. You've got some things that are not happening the way that they should. First off, have you ignored the wisdom of God? If so, repent and do what he said. If you don't have the wisdom of God, then you need to receive the wisdom of God. But have you disregarded the wisdom of God in other areas? If so, repent. God forgives right away. Say, Father God, I have disregarded your wisdom. I have second-guessed you. I've done all these different things. I don't want to do that anymore. I want to receive the wisdom of God. And when you say something, I'm going to do it. And just listen. You will change situations around. God will begin to speak to you. He will put his wisdom down on the inside of you. You'll receive wisdom for yourself. Beyond that, you will receive wisdom that will come for others. You will find yourself receiving wisdom on things and you don't know what, what's this for? I don't understand. I don't have a need for this. Why does this come to me now? And then a day or two later, you'll run into somebody, oh, this is what it's for. And then pretty soon you get sharp to it. Oh, I got some wisdom and I know I don't need it. I mean, somebody else does. <laughs> and you begin to look around for who is it who needs this wisdom? Who is it who needs these things? What's going on? How many people are caught between a Red Sea, a couple of mountains, and an Israeli or an Egyptian army? How many people are caught in a bad spot and they feel like there's no way out? The problem is, folks, that most of us never get, a, get out of dealing with this the way the Israelites did. Grumble and complain. Were there not enough graves over in Egypt? Is that why you brought us out here? Got to bury us out here in the wilderness? No, God wants to take you out into the goodness of God. Not take you out of this world. He wants to bring you out into all the goodness. Land flowings with milk and honey and all that sort of stuff. But we need to, to listen to him. You are, are involved in a situation that is bringing turmoil into your life. And you want prayer for that. I need to receive the wisdom of God in this. I'm not just willing. I, I, I'll do more than just stand still and see the, the work of God. If God tells me to do something, I'll go out there and I'll do it. If I need to have faith for something, believe for something, change something, do something, I'll get out there and do it. Sometimes God will say, stand still. But a lot of times he says, no, you need to. My, that thing I told you to do, get it done. Do it. That attitude you have, get rid of it. It's not helping you out. And it's stopping you. 
change it. We need to do these different things. If you need prayer for something this morning, you want to come on up? Come on up for that.